Welcome to the Fantasy NBA Today podcast. You want playoffs? We've got playoffs. It's Friday. It's Fantasy NBA Today. It's also this time of year, betting Friday on the show. We don't have a lesson for you. I don't have a team to break down. I got bets. I got bets. This has been fun. I do. I love talking playoff pacing. That's just, I think you guys have figured that out right now. And I repeat myself a little bit, but uh, that's, the, that's the plan for today. Nothing else. Settle in. We'll talk playoff basketball. Series prices, games over the weekend, the whole schlemiel. I don't think I've used that word on the podcast yet. There are no games scheduled tomorrow, Saturday. How terribly sad. One tonight, two on Sunday. We'll preview those, see if we can make any reads on anything. Of course, the Sunday games, uh, one of them might get canceled. Minnesota-Memphis is tentatively scheduled. That game seven, if it, would, if it happens, would be Sunday. So it might only be two games this weekend. See how that all shakes out. We got series prices. Four of them are up. One of them, of course, is this current series. Philadelphia-Miami locked in for round two. Dallas and Phoenix locked in for round two because yesterday all three teams closed it out, which is a damn shame because, as I was mentioning on the podcast, I was kind of hoping for a couple of overs or, you know, slightly better shooting game sixes that could have created a nice little game seven bubble for us to bet underneath. And we got a couple overs out of those three games, um, but they all ended. All the series ended. Philadelphia had a big shooting game. I mean, that's the thing. We knew that these teams that had, you know, Philly had so vastly underperformed in their last ball game. You had to know a little bounce back was coming in some capacity. So you thought, all right, well, you know, if this is a closeout one, you're probably going to have a few extra points. Toronto just kind of ran out of gas. They didn't have enough ammo. Uh, Doc Rivers gets a very small monkey off his back by not blowing a 3-0 lead. They finish things off 4-2, and unfortunately, we don't have an opportunity to bet under in Game 7, because this one going over, oh, would have been so sweet if Toronto could have extended it. We would have hammered the under in Game 7, but it doesn't happen, so onward and upward. Generally, same story for the second game on last night's docket. Phoenix beat New Orleans 115-109 behind Chris Paul, who, you know, I don't know... There, there's an algorithm built into who has the best line of the night, and the algorithm suggests that Joel Embiid had the better line, probably because he had three blocks and Chris Paul had none. But I don't know how you look at Chris Paul's game and don't say it's one of the greatest performances ever in a playoff game. 14 for 14. 4 for 4 at the free throw line. 33, 5, and 8. He was unbelievable. And people are just riding the Chris Paul roller coaster right now. I, you know, after he had a couple of really big games early in this series, it was he's Magic Johnson. Then he had a bad game, and it was I can't believe you said he was Magic Johnson. I don't know who he's getting compared to today, but get off the roller coaster, people. Good lord. Phoenix shot sixty percent. That's what they've been doing. Well, not sixty percent, but they've been shooting better than average, even as the series has slowed down. It was one of the reasons that I thought. You know, maybe that game had a chance to go over with maybe a Game 7 going under. It did go over. No Game 7. And it's why we laid off that one as well. 
And then Dallas, Utah, I don't know what the hell to make of this ball game. Um, Utah was favored by a point and a half, figured it was going to be a close one. Boyan Bogdanovich missed a potential game winner. And Dallas advances, despite what I thought was, I mean, Dallas played a, an exceptionally poor fourth quarter, but got away with it because Luka just ran isos every time. Then he tried to get a screen, get his guy off of him. It didn't really work. Utah was sending two guys. Luka was, Luka was giving it up every once in a while. Dorian Finney-Smith had a really big three-pointer late in the ballgame. But man, if that's what Dallas runs in the fourth quarter of every ballgame, I don't know. They got to come up with something a little bit better. Or, I don't know. I mean, you know, Rudy Gobert coming out as part of the screen. Like, if you can't pick on that... He didn't, really. But Utah's eliminated. Again, the things kind of come apart for Utah in the playoffs, although they were the underdog in this series, so don't don't get that part twisted. Yes, Luka missed a handful of games. It, wasn't, it was a bad showing by the Jazz to lose two of those three. That was their opportunity. They needed to be up 2-1 to one when Luka came back, and they weren't. Is Quinn Snyder going to be done? Do the Jazz blow things up? We shall see. An offseason awaits, but again... No opportunity to bet an under in Game 7. This one went under even in Game 6. It was a horrifically slow-paced basketball game. Despite a really low turnover account, that couldn't make up for the fact that the teams just didn't really have many possessions between the two of them. I think it was combined like 202, 201, 202 possessions. So really slow game again. Um, and not many free throws. So no real opportunity to make up for the slowness. But it doesn't matter because those series are all done. So we pivot into today. Hi, by the way, I'm Dan Bespris. Thanks so much for tuning in, everybody. Uh, you can follow me on Twitter at Dan Bespris. I'm guessing most of you already do. So we're not going to spend much time on that. I will once again at the front end of today's show remind you guys to please drop a follow on Ethos Fantasy BB. For baseball, Ethos Fantasy BB. It doesn't have blurbs like our basketball feed does right now, but it does have the podcast as those come out. As a baseball division emerges here at Sports Ethos, it will also have blurbs. And a reminder, Ethos Fantasy FB for football will have blurbs within the next couple of months. That's going to be a full-fledged division. I know, breaking a little bit of news here. And Fantasy NFL Today comes out next week. Big news here at Sports Ethos on the non-basketball front. But let's take a little bit of a forward-looking posture. Grizzlies at T-Wolves. Grizz, one-and-a-half-point road favorites. Timberwolves, uh, total of 228-and-a-half right now. Folks, picture this nightmare scenario. You're hosting friends for the big game. It's neck and neck in the fourth quarter, and suddenly you realize you're out of drinks. Boo, say all of your friends. You start to sweat. Your friends turn on you. You're forced to go on a last-second drink run and end up missing the game-winning touchdown while in line. Oh, no. Terrifying, isn't it? Luckily, you can avoid the drama with Drizzly, the go-to app for drink delivery. With Drizzly, you can shop a huge selection of beer, wine, and spirits, then get them delivered right to your watch party. Compare prices across multiple stores in your area, find the best deals on game day drinks, and get back to armchair quarterbacking from 
you guessed it, your armchair. Download the Drizzly app or go to drizzly.com. That's D-R-I-Z-L-Y.com today. Must be 21 plus, not available in all locations. And I'll say this. Looking at that last ball game, Memphis beat Minnesota 111-109. It was the first game where we saw the teams really drop off in their offensive efficiency. It wasn't so much that the pace was much slower. In fact, the game still moved along at kind of its typically robust speed between these two teams. If you look at just the overall, again, we're fuzzy mathing this a little bit, but the Wolves had 83 field goal attempts, 22 turnovers, an unacceptably high number there, 24 free throws. So we're just going to divide that number in half, call it about 12 possessions worth of free throws. I know that's not perfectly accurate because some of them are and ones and technicals and things of that nature, but let's just call it 12 possessions on top of 22 turnovers. So you add 83 and 34, you get 117 possessions, roughly. Over on the other side, basically 40 free throws, 16 turnovers, so you can add 36 there. You could say Memphis had close to 130 possessions in that ballgame. I mean, it was, for a playoff game, full-on breakneck. So the fact that it went under and created, again, this downward movement in the total... You know, I, I think there's an, a, a real chance that this one does actually click over the mark. It's going to come down, however, to whether or not the teams can shoot a little bit. But maybe even more than that, it's going to come down to whether or not the teams can take care of the basketball a little bit. Turnovers have been a problem in this series. Free throws have been very high in every ballgame. So I see no real reason why that should change dramatically in this one. Maybe it does. I don't know. It's possible that all of a sudden there just aren't as many free throws, but there have been a crap ton in the series overall, so why would that change for Game 6? Seems like that would still be the case. We need... If you think this game's going to go over, first of all, you need Memphis to hit more of their free throws. Jaw was terrible at the free throw line. Brandon Clark missed a bunch. I mean, they had good ball games, and Brandon Clark overall was fantastic because JJJ was in foul trouble, but, over, but they need to make their free throws. And on the Minnesota side, 22 turnovers is just nuts. Even if you're only shooting 44, 45%, if you eliminate five or six of those turnovers, you're talking about two to three extra made buckets. You're talking about somewhere between four and nine additional points for your team just getting turnovers down to a reasonable number. It's worth pointing out that if you say nine, if that's nine that you're looking for there, that pretty much gets that game to last game's total and would put this one over the mark. By the way, as I'm talking, the total just jumped a full point higher. So that's not great for us. But as we've seen, game sixes are not guaranteed to go under. They're not. We saw two out of three go over yesterday. It's kind of a last hurrah. The team that's down is going to come out really firing. I think you see pace pretty good in the first half in particular because Minnesota is going to want to go get offense. They're going to you're going to see a lot of energy from the Timberwolves and the, and the Grays are going to have to match it. They're going to have to kind of weather that storm if they want to close this thing out today. 
So yeah, I think there's a tiny bit of value on the over based on the speed of the games we've seen so far. Most of them have been in the 230s in pace. Again, doesn't mean the score is going to end up there. Like, you know, if you go back to last Saturday, 237, so it did get there. When the hell was their previous game? Was it The previous game didn't. And the pace was there again, but the team's shot terribly, missed free throws, had a lot of turnovers. It's kind of that same thing. Like, if you look all the way back at game, whatever the hell that was, four? Was that four I'm going back to? On the 21st, I've lost track. That might be three. It might have been four. Total was at 237 for that ball game, and... Uh, the team shot 42 and 39% between the two of them. Still had 54 free throws. Still had 34 turnovers. Kind of that same general number clicking through. But neither club could hit a shot to save their lives. Pace was a little bit slower in that ballgame. I think you were looking at something like 116, 111. Yeah, it was like 227 for the pace. We really haven't seen a game where the pace has been slower than right around today's total, at least when it was at 228. Now it jumps up a little bit, so yeah, that wipes out a a tiny bit of the fun. But if the teams have an average offensive performance, it would go over. If you prefer, you can just squat on it and hope for a Game 7 to bet under. Unless this one goes way under and the total comes down to like 226, then it'd be hard to bet under in Game 7. But again, if this one gets anywhere near this mark or even ticks over a little bit, Game 7 should have a nice little value on an under if it gets there. Again, you can that's the safe play, and it's what we talked about yesterday. The other game over the weekend is scheduled for Sunday. Again, nothing on Saturday. All of those were going to be Game 7s from Round 1, but none of them needed to happen. Bucks, celtics Celtics favored by 4.5. That's the Chris Middleton effect. Uh... I'm floored, by the way, that Boston, and we'll get to the series price, but they're a pretty good-sized favorite on the series. I thought we might see Middleton back close to the start of this one, but now he's been ruled out basically for the entire series, I believe, which surprised me. Last time I talked about this series, I went on uh, with my good buddy Gil on Tuesday. I said, look, I think Bucks are going to be ever so slightly favored in this series with the expectation that Chris Middleton's around, but he's not, so that certainly changes the complexion. So Celtics by four and a half, total of two seventeen and a half. And I got to admit to you guys, I don't have a clue what the pace is going to look like for this ball game. Game ones are really weird. Game ones are real weird because you see the two teams kind of just throw their fastball. They can game plan for each other. They've had a couple of days to study tape, all that good stuff, but you just don't know what you're going to get on game one. Game ones in playoffs can go over because you kind of see the two teams feeling each other out a little bit. They haven't seen every action that a team is going to run on their offensive side. You don't know what kind of energy the teams are going to bring into the ballgame. Boston just dealt with a Brooklyn team that was going to try to beat them with firepower, but it wasn't going to stop Milwaukee. Or wasn't going to stop uh, Boston, excuse me. Now, they're going to go into a Milwaukee team that can do both. They can score and they can defend, heaven forbid. So what kind of a series does it turn into? Milwaukee just played a Chicago team that had a heavy dose of mid-range stuff. A heavy dose. But 
again, was not particularly skilled on the defensive side. I mean, they were fine. Bulls were not an awful defensive team, but they weren't they weren't Brooklyn bad. They but they weren't a good one. And now they're going to see a Boston team that is spectacular defensively. Makes very few mistakes. Grayson Allen is probably not about to pop off in this series. Pat Connaughton's probably not going to pop off. What does Boston have up their sleeve for dealing with Giannis without Middleton around? I think this is going to be a pretty tough series for, for Giannis. He's going to have to figure out where his options are. But what does that look like in game one? We just don't know. We don't know what Boston's fastball is going to be in game one. Hey, here's the defense we're going to run on Giannis. Because that's it. I mean, we'll, you'll know by probably the second quarter what Boston's going to try to do with Giannis until they kind of get a feel for things. On the Milwaukee side, I think they'd trust they can pretty much play Boston more or less straight up. Celtics are they're a good offensive team, make no mistake, but they, they've sort of made their hay defensively this year. So that, you know, if that was a pregame show, we'd probably come to the conclusion of, okay, well, this one probably ticks under, but we just don't know. The Bucks in particular, I mean, both of these teams got through the first round with pretty minimal fanfare. Celtics swept them, Bucks gentlemen sweep. Right now, money's coming in on the over. Uh, Bucks are catching a pretty good chunk of change as the four and a half point underdog. And it's reasonable, you know? I mean, Bucks, so that both teams had an interesting little mini test in round one. I think they both had a little bit of a wake-up call. Celtics, their wake-up call wasn't a loss necessarily. It was just kind of having to deal with Kyrie and KD right out of the shoot. Now they got Giannis. Bucks, the wake-up call was losing a game. I'd be more inclined, and, you know, I hate the fact that we know Middleton is out for the entire series, but I do think there's a little bit of value with the Bucks at plus 175. But without Middleton, I... With him, I thought they win this series. I had Milwaukee going to the finals. Uh, I I don't know that. Th- I mean, this is the this is the team that they would struggle the most against without having that extra option. Because I do think if anyone can game plan for Giannis, and no one's going to stop him because he's Giannis, and Phoenix did about as good a job as anyone could last year in the finals, and then he figured out a way to work around it. But Boston is going to be that team. That's the team that is going to come up with a good plan. Al Horford, again, in his younger years, I mentioned this yesterday, in his younger years was actually a pretty good guard against Giannis. He's going to need help, but Time Lord, great rim protector. Boston just has a lot of guys that are in the right spots. Grant Williams is going to get some time there. Giannis is going to have to fight for it. And you know, I don't know where the other stuff is going to come from, Without Middleton, I love Drew Holiday, but he's not an—he's not the offensive monster that they might need in this series. So slightly to the under in Game One, slightly to the Bucks in the series price because I, I do think Giannis is going to figure something out. But this is going to be a dogfight, man. The reason you'd look at Milwaukee right now is if you think they get one of the two games in Boston, and then maybe this thing moves sort of towards a pick'em. Not that you'd get an underdog price on both teams necessarily, but you might get close. You get Bucks as a dog and Celtics at kind of close to like even money. That sets you up for a possible guaranteed win, effectively. You can basically get a guaranteed win if you can get a cheaper favorite price on Boston 
than underdog price on Milwaukee. If you have Milwaukee at plus 175 and the Bucks take one out of two games and it drops where Celtics are like a minus 130 favorite, yeah, I mean, screw it. Get in on that and then you've got yourself, do the math on it, but you got yourself a win. Small win, but a win. Sixers-Miami. Miami's a minus 175 favorite, Sixers plus 150. I think this is actually a pretty good line on that one. The only problem is that Miami's dealing with a bunch of injuries. A bunch of guys sat out practice today, here, Friday. Jimmy Butler didn't practice. P.J. Tucker didn't practice. Kyle Lowry didn't practice. Tyler Hero didn't practice. Uh, I mean, yes, they're going... They're playing sort of gentle with those guys because they need. They know that they're going to now need them for this series. This is not going to be like Atlanta. Um, but this is... This will be a pretty good matchup. I think the Heat do win it. Um, Harden in South Beach, could he... I hope he can control himself in the playoffs. I, I guess I don't know for sure. Miami at minus 175 is a pretty good price. I was hoping that that might come in a little bit lower. Sixers maybe looking a tad vulnerable before wrapping up Toronto. Might have boosted this number a little bit on the Miami side. But I think the Heat advance, so... You know, this is probably your best opportunity to do it, which I hate laying a buck 75, but Miami at, at minus 175 is probably the way to go. And then Dallas at Phoenix, Devin Booker being back makes this a much easier series for me to look into. Uh, I would take Dallas for one of the first couple of games. Or Sorry, let me change my phrasing on that. I would take Dallas at plus 240 with the express goal of getting in on Phoenix at a price lower than that. Like, I would probably buy off of the Mavericks if it doesn't look like that plus 240 is going to get anywhere near. Because I don't think they're actually winning this series. I think Dallas loses to Phoenix. Um, Mavericks are able to pick on a Utah team that just isn't really built for playoff basketball. Suns are just a much, much higher class of opponent, and now they're back to being mostly healthy again. And by the time this series starts, May 4th, I think, is the first game. Am I getting that right? It's like the middle of next week. Is Wednesday the first game of that one? That can't be right, can it? No, Monday. Sorry, it starts on Monday, May 2nd. Excuse me. Either way, that's another... Well, let's see. They finished off New Orleans yesterday, so today, Saturday, Sunday. That's three days off for Booker to get much closer to being fully healthy. Yeah, Phoenix has the edge. And they're a six-point favorite in that game anyway. So, from a price standpoint, I'm not laying minus 290 on the Suns. That's too expensive for me to get into. I think I'd lay plus 240 on the Mavs with the expectation that Dallas finds a way in one of the first two games of the series. Maybe they catch it on a, a Booker rusty game, and you know maybe Chris Paul doesn't go supernova like yesterday. And if they go back to Dallas with the Mavs with home court advantage, they're not going to be a favorite, make no mistake, even if this goes to Dallas tied 1-1. But maybe you can see Suns at like a minus 180, minus 200. So the goal there, as kind of the same story with uh, Milwaukee, is grab an underdog now if you think they're going to take one out of two games on the road. And I think both of them have a decent shot to do it. Sixers, I don't know, man. He'd, he'd, I think, have a decent chance to win both of those games. But I I could get surprised. If Miami really is as dinged up as they appear, that would be the the other side of that. I just think they're playing it kind of safe. 
Can I ask a very simple question here before we wrap up our weekend playoff preview? And that simple question is, um, why is Milwaukee Boston at like the morning on Sunday? What the hell? I think the game is scheduled for 10 a.m. Pacific time. It's 1 p.m. in Boston. Uh, I know that Memphis, Minnesota might happen later that day, but I mean, they could very easily go like, I don't know. Uh, let's see when the game would be in Memphis. That's Memphis is central time. Yeah. Or Eastern time. I don't know. It doesn't really matter. Um, I get it. They don't want to like have two Eastern time games and push one of them super late, but let's just take it from the latest start time. You could start uh, Memphis, you could make the Celtics the late game at like 6.30 Eastern time, 3.30 Pacific, and if you want to give a two-and-a-half, three-hour buffer before that, start the other one at 12.30 Pacific time? What are we doing here? I don't know. Doesn't matter, I guess. Anyway, that's where I sit on everything right now. We'll get a few more tidbits of data over the weekend. We can talk about that on Monday's show when we loop back around for another team or lesson learned. I haven't decided yet, and damn it, I don't have to decide until eight minutes before I do the show if I want, because whatever. It's the off-season. 15 off-season shows in the bucket. I've lost track of how many lessons we've done. I know we've done two teams, so I think I'm just going to keep track of off-season show count at this point. Again, drop follows on our brand new ethos fantasy bb ethos fantasy fb account so you guys can get all of the baseball and football information we bring to you once again i am dan vespers for fantasy nba today a sports ethos presentation half an hour or less it's off season time isn't it have a great 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 weekend everybody keep enjoying the playoff basketball i'll talk to you guys on monday morning so long